This is a Strategist, episode 1073. My name is Zane Velcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Friday. Oh, man. What happy are we doing? Donald Trump. Yeah. Why are we day. recording during the day? Because, like, this is right on my nap time. I am exhausted. It's so hot. I need a nap, a siesta, a little snoozy poozy. And you guys are making me report. I didn't. If anyone strikes me as being European, it is not you, Carter. You that is, uh... <laughs> well, I you mean... went from siesta to Snoopy Poopy. What, what, what did you go from? Yeah, don't, don't make him repeat it. I hated you it. Like yeah, no, okay. every moment of it. Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty bad. I need a little yeah. snoozy. Uh, you guys don't have snoozy No, poozies? you don't. No, you don't, Carter. Carter, okay. do you want to tell people about the big news of the podcast? Or are we going to let Corey do that? Oh, let Honestly, Corey I don't do even know what it is. Oh, Corey's... yeah, I think I do know what it is. Uh, thanks to our interventions, uh, we did it. We've won. Flair's won. Uh, Swoop Airlines Flair is no won. more. Yeah. Swoop Airlines is dead. We have cleared the runways, Carter, for our sponsor. <laughs> Flair Airlines. Sponsor, but be, yes. That is pretty uh, impressive. You know, WestJet is shutting down. WestJet West is shutting down their discount airline, Swoop. You know what that means, Carter. We only have links to compete with. If we can shut down links, it's just a Flair <laughs> game, baby. One one player monopoly. Okay? On the discount rarely delivered service of getting people from point A to point B. What do you think of this? This is breaking news. And and I feel like we should be taking, and I'm going to be humble here, all of the credit. I believe it is all the credit. Yeah. I mean, how else would this have occurred? It's not like anything that Flair Airlines sets out to do is actually ever accomplished. So it must have been us. Right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. We are... We are the swoop killers uh, here, Corey. Corey, any um, any commentary you want to give to our um, incredible success as three white dudes behind podcast mics? You know, I think that our strategy, um, which very naturally built on Flair's strengths of saying, hey, if you never leave the gate, the other airline can't use the gate, was really the secret to this one here. What do you guys think? So That's, good. So good. Th- yeah. That was your multi- one may call ch- it an- multi-level chess thinking, Corey. That was all you, baby. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Corey, Corey took the illegal screen and he made it into a uh, a strategy for for a low budget airline, and I like it, Carter. Yeah. Carter, what's an illegal screen? An illegal screen is when you put up, um, you know, the the yard screen to keep out the the bugs, and uh, you haven't got it cleared with your neighborhood association. So, Zane, uh, do you correct. remember the synthetic basketball in the '90s that was like cutting players' hands? Does, is this ringing a bell? Do you remember that? <laughs> no, he wasn't what? born in the '90s. Like. Carter, it, do you it, remember it had synthetic like, basketball? No, I don't remember it, this. It I, had I, more I, bounce. Unlike Carter, I don't. I don't have. I don't. Like Stern announced it with great fanfare. Like this was the new ball, the ball of the future, and they had to drop it like two months later. Yes. Uh, no, I don't remember it. So it was okay, the new well, Coke of the NBA. It was the new Coke of the NBA, and uh, it allowed an entirely different type of game to be played for like two months, and then all of the players revolted and demanded it come back. So anyhow. Uh, you know, I can't remember who, but some players got very good at like uh, using the extra kick to kind of like spring it back to them in unique ways. And other players were like, I can't shoot this. It makes my hands bleed. So good. Is it just random fucking well, that was story? Great time? Story, Corey. Uh, <laughs> really tied it into you, to the episode today. You're just really leading well, it was here. About flair. It was about white man. It's okay. okay. It wasn't okay. I mean, no, I can't I remember what my point was, but there was. It was. Be a, a it was a great one. You kind of threw me off by not remembering it. That's my no. Point. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's I can't your fault, Zane. Your fault. Uh, of your course, fault, this Zane. this this segment was brought to us by Flair Airlines. Flair Airlines. We don't know what our point wasn't. is either. Corey, let's move it on to our first <laughs> segment. Our first segment. Me and my twenty four closest friends. 
Danielle Smith has announced her new cabinet. We've 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 uh, delayed recording this episode to a Friday so we can react to that cabinet, Corey. And yeah. now we have it. 24 people, 24 of her 49 member caucus are now going to be serving as cabinet ministers. Uh, the majority, the vast majority of them being men. The previous cabinet was 27. Uh, and we are seeing some pretty interesting names on the list. Everyone who was a cabinet minister before retains a cabinet seat, although not the same one in in uh, in, in actually, I'd say most cases, uh, five women on the cabinet, Danielle Smith herself, Rebecca Schultz, Tanya Fur, Rajan Sunny, Adriana LaGrange. Remember that last name? I'm sure many of you know it. I want to discuss her new role in health. Uh, we are also seeing the first Muslim Minister of Justice and Mickey, Mickey Amory, Lebanese Canadian. We're also seeing Mohamed Yassin, South Asian descent. He's going to be uh, our new Minister of Immigration, if I'm not mistaken. It's a longer title than that, uh, certainly. Corey, there's a lot that goes into making a cabinet. And I know we've done episodes in the past strictly at length about cabinet making, the triangulation of all the factors. Can we pare that down to a two-minute version before we jump into the specifics of this new cabinet by Danielle Smith? What are some of the considerations that that a government and a premier has to make into, into cabinet making? And then, Carter, I'll get you to yes and some of the things Corey puts on the table sure. just for a couple of minutes here before we jump into the specifics. Yeah, so historically... Um you, it was really just what the what the premier or the first minister wanted, right? But what's happened over time is there's been an increasing number of considerations put on the table in terms of regional diversity. That's always been fairly important. But then there became gender diversity, ethnic diversity, diversity of different backgrounds of all sorts. And you ultimately wanted your cabinet to have a broad composition feel that reflected a lot of areas. And from there, I think we've seen a bit of a receding. I think we saw that with the Kenny ca uh, cabinet that was much more Calgary-centric than you would otherwise expect. Mm -hmm. And I think certainly that is also the case with the Smith cabinet. But those considerations are still there in a big way. Are you covering off your geography? Are you covering off your diversity in so far as you can from the components you have from your caucus? Uh, but from there, an important part to keep in mind is you do tend to like it's not like you put a doctor in health, you put an educator in education. That's not generally what you do. But a minister or a first minister looks at it and says, who are my rocks? Who are the people I want in certain positions? And then they build their cabinet around that. So the example I think I used maybe even as recently as last episode or two episodes ago was actually pretty prescient because I said, hey, for example, if you want Brian Jean in energy, that means Brian Jean's not in justice and you only have so many choices there and i you know then you have to put amory in justice i think it was even the example i used and it mm -hmm. ended up being the case i didn't have any foreknowledge at that point but that was an example of how dominoes fall so that's the that's kind of the nature of cabinet making you you have your rocks you try to make it broadly look like the composition of the province depending on how you want to consider province and um and you go from there uh the size of it has always been a big consideration there are people who expect to be in cabinet and if they're not in there, they get grumpy. There are people that if they're not in cabinet will be idle hands that could make your life miserable. And so on the flip side, having lots of ministers is kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. And, and so the size of it, the composition of it, who your rocks are, these are the things that you got to take into account. 
Carter, in addition to that, there's some what we call big ministries, quote unquote, right? Especially as they relate here in Alberta, many call the the finance ministry a big one or health or energy. Uh, And a few others can be kind of big ministries or or senior ministries that require a little bit more experience, so to speak. Corey's kind of talked about it through your rocks and then the stones that kind of come thereafter. People you're taking a bit of a flyer on, people that maybe necessarily haven't proven themselves or are brand new uh, to the caucus that you're going to take a bit of a chance on. Uh, Maybe you're just strictly reading their resume and a couple of conversations, even by proxy, if you're the premier, around their competencies and capacities. You've had to make cabinets. So in addition to what Corey has said, give me what your 2012-ish, right, or 2011-ish version of a cabinet making look like. Give me some of the other factors you had to consider. And and once again, not at length, uh, but give me some of the other factors that you you had to consider back then. Uh, And I actually want to then fast forward it to today. We're going to give you one thing that we we had to consider and one thing that we didn't consider. Um, So one thing that we had to consider was loyalty. You know, where is the loyalty to the leader? Is this person... Because... And I think this is true today in the in the UCP. Um, there are factions in any political party, right? So when you're putting in, uh, you know, you've, you've got to balance not only the regional components, but, um, you know, the right wing side. Are we giving this, a, you know, are we putting this person in as a nod to the center? Are we putting this person in as a nod to the right? Um, so you're, you're building your... Uh, your cabinet, not just to reflect regional diversity, uh, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, but you're also building it to reflect the diversity of your individual of your party, so that the people who could get mad at you, and and in politics, there's lots of people who can get mad at you, um, are less inclined to get mad at you because you've put their person uh, into into a specific role that they are happy with. Right. So you might see that with the oil and gas community being happy with Brian Jean being in energy. They know Brian Jean. They like Brian Jean. They don't think he's Mm -hmm, a lunatic. mm -hmm. Um, So they they may be happy. Uh, Whereas, you know, I'm I'm fairly certain that the health community is pulling out their hair today. Um, But we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. One one thing that we did not look at. And and this is going to sound really weird, but you don't spend a lot of time thinking about um, knowledge or competency in the ministry, right? So as Corey said, you're not looking to put a doctor into healthcare. You're not looking to put a teacher into education. Um, you also didn't want you don't want to put people into the role that they'd had before necessarily because they may be solving the issues that existed before that may not be priorities for your government, right? The issues still may exist. But it may not be a priority. Um, or, you know, if in the case like when, when the NDP, uh, when there's still a chance that they could win, you know, I was thinking you don't want to be putting uh, ministers from eight years ago uh, into the same into the same portfolios because they'll be trying to tackle the issues that existed eight years ago, not the issues that exist now. So you're not looking for that, you know, that kind of competence, that kind of experience, because ultimately that can be... Um, challenging. You want people to solve the problems you want them to solve. They're all going to get ministerial letters, right? This is what we want you to focus on in your ministry. That's what you want them to do, not freelance and find their own problems that they can find their own solutions to. You know, there's a few things that have been put on the table. Let me kind of turn round up as many as I can, right? So previous cabinet experience or caucus experience, loyalty, as Carter mentioned, we've talked about geography, we already talked about gender, we've talked about race. Um, we, we've talked about competency through the perspective, less about the, the role in the ministry, but more so if I can call it 
general managerial or executive competency, if, if that's fair to say, um, so to speak. Corey, you know, one Carter talks to us about a 2011 experience. I want to fast forward it to 2023. There's mm-hmm. one thing I've seen the last half decade more, and you guys may correct me if you've actually seen it more if it's always happened, but it's been the mapping of the ministries. Like we've just seemed to like have ministries created out of thin air these days. And we've seen this on the federal side as well. I think the best example live wire right now is Bill Blair's Ministry of Emergency Preparedness. He actually doesn't have a department that rolls up to him. He actually doesn't have uh, DMs and bureaucrats and and, and public service staff that report up Mm -hmm. to him. And we're seeing a bit of that today as well, right, where where some ministries have been either remapped or renamed slightly to kind of meet the moment. So I'm just going to put that one on there. But any sort of new changes, last half decade changes that you've started to see, you've already mentioned perhaps in Alberta, the deprioritizing of gender in some ways, like we have, you know, we Kenny kind of stopped caring about that in some ways or or started to even even, you know, get rid of the the status of women ministry as, as, as its own standing ministry. But talk to me about any recent changes you may have seen, and then we'll jump into what we're seeing today uh, put on the table by Danielle Smith. Well, first of all, Status of Women only became a ministry, like a standalone ministry under the NDP. So that in itself was a change. I'll tell you, it's it's interesting to me because when we were working on transition materials in 2019, in advance of that election, when I was in the public service, I remember there was this chart and it went back to like the 70s of every single ministry that had existed, you know, and it, it kind of mm-hmm, had mm-hmm, bars mm-hmm. like these ones existed, these ones didn't all the way through. And certainly there was a, a standard stable that sometimes got new names, but ultimately always went through. And it really did seem like in the last decade at that point, all of a sudden there were all sorts of random new ones and random new combinations. And I think that's even more so uh, in the past four years, right? Since Jason Kenny came in, we got like things like the Ministry of Red Tape Reduction. Obviously, we have a whole, a whole assortment of these boutique ministries that have occurred in the last bit and these boutiques. That's a good way of them. boutique ministries. I like, I like that. Yeah. And I think that we have started to look at the cabinet as... Um, You know, as a communications, like the actual jobs as a communication vehicle too, saying this is important to us. Therefore, we've elevated it to a ministry and we've created a minister for it. And often we've created public service apparatus behind it. And that's um, that's maybe not optimal for the operation of government, but you can certainly understand why they do it, because the average person in Alberta doesn't know the size of a ministry. Right. They don't know, Mm -hmm. for example, justice has. I don't know, thousands and thousands of employees and the ministry of the status of women had like 25, right? Mm -hmm, It's just, mm -hmm. it's two ministries and it it says that these things are important. And so the, uh, the governments have sort of determined that just creating something as a ministry is a way to sort of elevate how the public perceives that you perceive that issue. Carter, last half decade, any other changes that you feel like have been material since the time you were actually cabinet making a little bit more than a decade ago. Well, I think that one of the big material pieces is who's choosing to ignore and, uh, you know, what type of balancing, right? So if we were doing um, uh, balancing of, of you know, uh, gender, then that's one thing, or, or, or visible minorities. This... There's certain types of government that are doing that balancing. You know, Trudeau famously said this because it's 2015, because he when he balanced his his cabinet, um, you know, 
Allison did not balance her cabinet in part because she said she was the first minister. And as such, I mean, she detained, you know, she'd broken through the glass ceiling. Uh, she didn't need to, uh, to, to kind of further that. Um, you know, this, this is a cabinet that's totally ignoring that, you know, that, that, that those precedents that have been set by others. I mean, there's not even a nod to it. Uh, there is a nod to geographic balance, but I, I'm not seeing that same nod. So I, I think that, you know, in terms of the changes that have been made, I'm, I'm less focused on the actual names of things because the names are always changing, right? You go back and mm. you'll find even, um, the, the, the names are always changing, but the, the how we how they approach those things is 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 uh is is more static i think or or is is also changing now let me just try and let's try that again hey do we have an do we have the ability to, to do like to do multiple takes on this show or uh no i'm just gonna look we like no we don't in no. that phase yeah okay that's, no, we, that's what's gonna never, happen there yeah no, that's, that's absolutely what's gonna happen <laughs> this is a patreon though right we're only a thousand also not a patreon yeah this will be about thirty thousand. so Oh. Yeah, at 1624, let's make that a meme. 1624 so, is now you know the what? new, the, the new time stamp for making a club. Saddle Dome has yeah. about 19,000 people it can hold. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, more people will hear you fuck up than that. Just FYI. Oh, my God. But the new arena, I mean, it's going to hold uh, less. Uh, Corey, let's... <laughs> <laughs> Fewer, but yeah. yeah. Less. less, than, less See, than now they're going to hear you fuck that up. Yeah, they're going to be, no, I'm no, the only one still standing gonna be here. all over the Discord, yeah. Zane. Less is the, fewer nor- uh, is the Northeast fewer. <laughs> uh, okay, let's jump into this cabinet, guys. I, I gave you some of the yeah, top sure. stats. Danielle, Danielle plus twenty four. She retains intergovernmental. Adrienne Lagrange moves into health. Um, Nicolaitis moves into education. Horner, no, Doug Horner's not back. Nate Horner is going to be finance. Right? We got Brian Jean in in energy. You got Rebecca Schultz in environment. The list goes on from there. The first question I have for you, Corey. Let me just start with you here. If the mapping of ministries is a communication exercise and the job that they're going to do, what what mm-hmm. they're trying to project to the people. Taken as a unit in aggregate, what is Daniel Smith trying to communicate today? Wow, that is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. I'm I'm not really sure. I I think that it's that I in a funny way, I think it's stability. I, one of the things that really sticks out to me here is that there's not a lot of new cabinet ministers, and there hasn't been a dramatic change in the size of cabinet. And I think we were expecting certainly a smaller cabinet and probably different faces at the table. And she said no to either. And one of the reasons you might want to do that as a premier is internal peace as much as anything, right? We've talked about this in the past. Elevating someone's great. They're going to feel very good about that. Demoting somebody is bad. They're going to feel bad about that. And so Mm -hmm. uh, what she has managed to do is essentially maintain... um, a certain level of comfort with her leadership amongst the people that were in cabinet. And so, you know, for me, the thing that sticks out, the thing she's trying to communicate is not huge change, right? Now, Mm. a lot of different faces in a lot of different places, and this is how she's kind of creating change. But um, by and large, this is the same cabinet that we had before the rip was dropped, with a few notable exceptions of retired MLAs and a a few defeated MLAs. Carter? What is the Collect 24? We talked the gender breakdown. We talked a bit of the racial breakdown. We haven't talked the geographic breakdown, but Calgary gets good representation considering they only have a dozen folks to choose from there. What's the message you wanted to send? I actually don't know. I I think that in terms of a message cabinet, 
this this really doesn't show much of a message. Um, it is more like a shuffle in my mind than it is like an, a brand new cabinet. Um, so <laughs> you shuffled your people around. You moved you moved some people into different spots. No one really got demoted. No one really got you know promoted. I mean, with the notable exception of Jason Nixon, who is is you know. F- still there but very much on the outs um this cabinet doesn't have a bunch of of shifting sands shifting new new people into new places yeah i mean ariana like ariana lagrange what are we are we just gonna call her lagrange um i'm just killing it this episode this is my best episode (laughs) um the you know she, she her in health is a statement Right. Um, because the ideology that she brand, she brought to education uh, arguably was very, very de- devastating. Now she's in healthcare. Does she bring the same type of ideology to it? I'm also interested in Brian Jean and Todd Lowen battling with uh, Rebecca Schultz. You know, which vision of the economy, which vision of the environment is going to, to win out? Um, you know, that that is something that is is an interesting thing but none of this is a script written by Danielle. These are interpretations that we're putting on on top of this. Danielle really didn't write much of a script about what it is that she's hoping to achieve in with this cabinet. She put people into place. It was very much um matter of fact, perfunctory almost, and here we are. I I think that this is not an inspired cabinet that is telling an inspired story. This is just people being put into places where Danielle Smith wanted them. Corey, you know, you know, Daniel, what message would you have wanted to send if you were hurt today? Would it have been the stability one that you say that she seemed to have gotten across? Well, I think so. I, I think that she needs to calm some horses here. It was a tense election. It was a tough election. It was a divisive election for the province. And in many ways, this election or, or this cabinet is consistent with the first half of her election night speech of like, okay, we're all just going to kind of work together. And she's not introducing a lot of new variables. Arguably, the Lagrange one is is the newest variable in that there's a new minister of health. But I want you to consider this for a minute. Um, when we talk about stability, and maybe in her mind, that was also a continuation of stability. When you think about the ministries of government, the the biggest in complexity, the biggest in dollars, for sure, no question, healthcare. But number two in both dollars and complexity is probably education, right? You could, mm. you could make some arguments for some of the other ones. You could talk about the power of the purse that exists at TBF. I would entertain those conversations. But arguably, if you're going to say, all right, we're not going to rock the boat and we're going to keep the relative seniorities in place. Let's just move her to health. That's one that's kind of easy. You know, it's if you're just getting the minister who had the second most complex, the second biggest dollars, and you're moving them into the first most. And one of the interesting things here is that when you think about the people that Danielle Smith lost going into and coming out of the election. They were the people in those senior ministries, right? You lost your minister of finance. You lost your minister of health. You lost your minister of um, energy. And so Mm -hmm. that does allow you to kind of keep this general pecking order, but just sort of slot everybody up. And the minute you start jumping people over and giving them to different ministries, that's when you have the potential of creating those real hurt feelings. And so I I actually don't think that that's crazy. And I would also point out that Nicolati is moving from advanced education, which is the fourth biggest in terms of dollars to education or the third biggest, maybe I, I don't know. I'm lost now, but 
it's not a huge step to go to education if you want to look at it through that lens too. And so there is kind of a look, you can squint and sort of say, she just didn't want to change things a lot in the creation of this cabinet. And that was probably right, knowing that uh, she's got to calm some horses in a societal sense, as well as calm horses internally looking towards a leadership review. Carter, same question to you. What message should Danielle Smith have tried to send today with her cabinet collectively? And if, if you were advising her on this, Knowing the election she's been through, what message should she have tried to send? I'm governing for all of all of Alberta. Um, I'm governing. How would you? How would she have? I, how would she have I done think that? the way to do that would have been to put to appoint people that weren't going to cause dis- you know consternation within the uh, uh, within within the electorate or within the within her party. Uh, but I think the electorate needs to be the bigger group right now. Um, you know, Lagrange is going to cause people to freak out in healthcare, right? I would have put her somewhere where she could have caused less havoc. Um, you know, children's services or something like that, you know, where she could have brought her, you know, her, her points of view and her, her view, her, her biases and not kind of scared the shit out of everybody. Um, you know, we were talking not that long ago, I think it was the last episode of the last Patreon or something like that. We were talking about how, how small this victory was and how that meant that I think that she needed to think about who she was serving a little bit differently. And this is not that cabinet. This cabinet is her party, her party first, maybe a nod to Calgary with some over-representation, but certainly not a a nod to Calgary that there's going to be a significant amount of power here. Um, I mean, we don't have the finance minister. We don't have the minister of energy. We we don't have the minister of health. Uh, arguably, the three most important ministries in this government. Uh, they're not in Calgary. So, you know, and I'm not th- I'm not sure that people are going to be thinking. You know what? You know, just the sheer number of ministers that we have makes up for things. So, again, I think that the message should have been I'm here to govern for everybody. But um, instead, it was very much a partisan partisan piece. Corey, we talked last time about cabinets where you kind of have variance in perhaps loyalties or rivalries. Yeah. Um, and it's staff is where you just be like, these have to be your folks, right? And I think you guys both impressed upon me at the end of that episode that that's just the way it should be. Talk to me to Carter's earlier point where he talked about the the loyalty element of it. What does this cabinet say about loyalty to you? Does, does it does it ha- have a bit of a keep your enemies close, keep your former rivals close element to it? Does it not? Talk to me about it through through that lens, and then I want to get into individual ministers. Oh, 100%. And I think one of the benefits of a large cabinet is it does allow you to keep your quote-unquote enemies close while still rewarding your quote-unquote friends. And listen, it's, it's always shifting alliances in these things, which is why I'm giving a bit of that quote-unquote treatment to it here. But there's a thing about cabinet that's pretty basic, but pretty important, which is cabinet solidarity. When you make a decision as cabinet, you go outside of cabinet and you support it 100%, no matter what's collectively been decided. And as we've talked about in the past, it's not like there's votes at cabinet. It's the premier reading the Mm, consensus mm. of the room and saying, this is what we're going to do. So effectively, by putting somebody in cabinet, the premier has, for the price of, you know, loyalty said, you have to support everything I do, absolutely, 100%, no hedge. And she now has- Do you think that conversation happened? That's just interesting to me. Like, do you it think doesn't a, a happen like that? that, but it do, a version does happen. It's, hmm. it's you know, and it's maybe delivered not so much by the premier, so much as the chief of staff or some of the people around as you're, as you're 
onboarding people to cabinet roles. And by the way, not a lot of new cabinet ministers, so most of them already know this, but they will for sure talk about the importance of cabinet solidarity and they will say things. And, you know, there's this, you know, there's this old thing in communications where nothing matters before the word but, right? So they will say, in this room, we have robust discussion, we disagree, we fight, we are going to have the tough conversations, but the minute we leave this room, we are united behind the decisions that have been made. And that is so foundational to the cabinet experience that you know one of the real advantages of a big cabinet is you have created, by having half of your team in cabinet, like an unbeatable block in caucus, frankly. Like you go in there and you're the majority of people and you are going to stand together on mm. every decision that's made. Carter, talk to me about how you read the uh, loyalty aspect of it, a point you brought up earlier. And, um, and feel free to like inject some of your, your your experience with this, right? You you have browbeat people into loyalty in the past. Uh, it didn't last long, uh, if I look <laughs> back at the 2011 experience. But tell me about some of your, your experiences. And, and I'm really curious about that conversation Corey referenced. Of course, not in such explicit or even ham-fisted terms. But talk to me about if that conversation happens around... I give you this and you give me that. Yeah, I mean, uh, generally, again, it's not that explicit. Um, but it is understood that if you're going to be a part of cabinet, you are bringing loyalty. That is, that's the price of admission into cabinet. And that's one of the great things about having a, a large cabinet. You, you know, you have uh, an awful lot of loyal friends. I, mean, I once had this idea that it would be great to put Al the Alberta government into five or six cabinets. And hey, guys. Breaking news. David Johnson resigning as special rapporteur on foreign interference. Happy Friday. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, no, I sent oh it to goodness. you guys six minutes ago. Like, I don't understand. wonder if he's got... I sent it to you. Oh, my God. Oh, we How does he breaking this? from the DMs, Corey, is what I sent to you. Oh, there we go. From the DMs. Uh, and you didn't read... Is it navigator.com or .ca, .ca that I need to go to? Yeah. Sorry, just... Oh, okay. .ca. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, thank you. But they were fired. So maybe they give them different advice. Um, uh, Navigator.ca, a Kelowna web design company since 1993. So big okay, ups to them. Good. Uh, and go ahead, Carter, please ch jump in. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a no hell idea. of a Friday. Is this a hell of a Friday? Yeah. A hell of a Aren't Friday. Aren't you happy recording? Carter, here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. How does this cabinet... Actually, you know what? Let me get more specific. Who are her friends and who are her enemies in this cabinet? We know, right? Like, let's, let's, get, let, if, if we're talking about loyalty tests, team of rivals, like, do you feel like the Saunies and the Schultzes of the world have just climatized and are like, fuck it, we're no longer against this woman, despite the fact what we said in the leadership? Or do you think they're actually fundamentally enemies? And then who are her friends? I think her friends are more the rural, uh, the rural side of this list. I think that the, the, the people who are probably against her, Jason Nixon, has certainly been against her from the very beginning, and would have been the the president of the uh, the 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 you know, eight oh five club that that Corey referenced regarding uh, Christy Clark at the last time we were chatted. Um, I think also Rebecca Schultz, Raj and Sonny, uh, you, you know, uh, maybe Rick McIver would have been people who who would be very inf you know could sit outside of this caucus and be very very influential. Uh, but let's also not forget the far right, the Todd Lowens of the world that have stood outside of this caucus on principle before. Putting him in cabinet and giving him uh, forestry and parks, that's a fairly significant uh, significant thing. And, and speaking as someone who enjoys riding his bike in Brad Creek, uh, that name terrifies me, right? Um, they're just going to, they're going to just 
take down all the trees in Bragg Creek uh, with Todd Lowen running the show. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm I think that she's she's still sitting in the middle of two of two different sides. Honestly, Corey, the flash the fleshlight needs to go away. It's very distracting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what else needs to go away? It's the a fucking flashlight. smirk, this fucking smirk on his face. And I and I've known this guy long enough to know that the fucking smirk on his face means that he read the Johnson letter yeah. and there are elements of what he suggested last time that it's, find itself in the letter. We could have written it last time. I know, fuck, I, I know that's what he's, he's so distracted. Yeah, Corey, do you is is being right on this podcast like about 80% of your your ego and identity at well, this point? Look, I, I said that he wasn't going to resign in the next month, so I can't really claim. I, I made you guys write letters for a Monday resignation. Do I recall that? Yeah, correctly? you did. You did. Yeah, yeah. And 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 okay, let's just talk about it because he'll be distracted the whole oh, no, time. No, no, so no, we'll take no, no. Next segment. No, 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 no. We'll do it no, next no, segment. There's no, we there's no next segment. It. We're going to talk about it right now. Fuck this show. Carter's already fucked up like <laughs> six to eight times. <laughs> Who gives a shit? It's really hurt. Yeah, this is okay, uh, we're going to. This gonna is the stream of consciousness we offer. Yeah, uh, remind anyone listening to never allow us on live television because this is how we'd end up. <laughs> okay, okay, so it's happened, uh, but should we continue on? Who are her friends is, is, is not the natural question when there's breaking news. Corey, let's talk about David Johnson because I know you want to, okay? He's written a letter. It's one page. He's written it to the prime minister. It's dated today. It was sent today. Um, prime minister has to accept this resignation, doesn't he? Oh, 100%. There's, there's no way not to. And uh, effectively, it says, hey, I I wanted to be the guy who could help bridge this partisan divide, but I can't. So I got to go. And, you know, me and my legal team are here to help if you need anything. And that sounds an awful lot like with the letter we told him to write. So uh, good for us. Bad for me in that I said he wasn't going to resign. However, something big happened over the last week. And we just haven't had a chance to talk about it, which is it turned out that Navigator oh, yeah. was also hired... Um, by uh, Han Dong earlier in the year. By Han Dong earlier, like it, to be the uh, crisis communication support for uh, for him in in terms of his particular challenges with the accusations made against him that David Johnson is the rapporteur looking into, right? So that didn't look great. And it just all became too untenable. A, a couple of days ago, Johnson announced through his staff that he'd fired Navigator effectively, not because there was anything wrong with them, but because this was, you know, an optics challenge. And uh, and that just wasn't enough, obviously. And here we are. So, um, wow, here we are. Uh, what do you guys uh, think? I got, We're- I got distracted. My wife is feeding my son cantaloupe for the first time, and I told her explicitly not to. Uh, Carter, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's well, horrible, you're gonna be by the way. Too. Terrible it's not fruit. a good fruit. Terrible. Worst it's not a good fruit. It's a if we great wanna, fruit. If we wanna, what are you talking If we want to open, open another, open another bracket. It, it, the only the thing worst is worst uh, honeydew. Worst fruit. What? No. no honeydew is delicious. terrible. All the melons are bullshit. Oh, my God. They're All yeah. the melons are fucking You know what? We got to throw out the bullshit. run now. We got to talk about melon. Melon power rankings now. Watermelon, <laughs> okay. number one. Agreed? Uh, yeah. yeah I think like that that's, number, that's agreed. Yeah. It's like you're like ranking people on the substitution list of the G League team, but okay, uh, sure. Yes, watermelon number one of a very shitty category. Number wow. two, okay. Cantaloupe is number delicious. two. I only know three melons, so I, this I, is I pretty be much pretty only. Short. There's a uh, two, uh, there's a couple of different honeydew, honeydew like melons cantaloupe. that are really tasty. And okay, fine. Let's just get a list of all the melons. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> so basically, any melon all that melon. it costs extra. Um. 
is uh, is is a I better. So you know, allmelons.ca is available. If we well, if it we was available. It. It's not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> By the time people listen to the show, it will not be available. <laughs> allmelons.ca. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let me find. Let me find. All right. Hold you know on. what? This is why we don't record during the day. Too many distractions. Keep we going, Zane. Just... Zane, what's the show about? What are we talking about? Here's here's something that's gonna blow your mind. There's something called a musk melon. And there's and zucchini is listed in the melon category. It is because it blow my mind. Yeah, it's essentially <laughs> is a melon. The same. I can't handle that. I don't want to talk about the fact that zucchini is a melon. Zucchini is a member too. of the melon family. Yeah, the actual fuck. This is more sh- shocking than the, <laughs> the, the David Johnson, Stephen Carter. Let's go back to David Johnson. Let's close the bracket on melons. Sure. Let's let's leave that conversation till next time. We you need know what? A this is like Inception. We we did melons, and now we're elevating up a level back to Johnson, and then we're going to elevate back up a level to uh, Cat. I close every bracket. Don't worry about Good. it. Okay. We're fine here. This is a high wire act for you, not for me. Okay, okay. Right. I'm one of those Melinda people. It ended well. For yeah, them, they right? all died. Uh, Carter. Carter, yeah. talk to me about Johnson. Let's do the quick political math right now. This letter came out 10 minutes ago, right? right. We, we we literally read it right now. What are What is each... Uh, let's talk about the three sides very quickly. What are the NDP doing right now? What are the liberals doing right now? What should the conservatives be doing right now? This is rapid strategy session live wire as it happens in front of us. What should each party be thinking about right now to maximize the political gain of this resignation? Or in the Trudeau case minimize the hurt right uh so so talk to me about some rapid fire strategies put them on the table Corey. i'm going to come to you the same thing right now breaking news right so i think that uh i think that the 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 conservatives should be just going after him after him this he was the wrong choice from the beginning this is the wrong that he was the wrong person the fact that it's ending in tragedy and and tears is absolutely no surprise and the reason for that is that's their existing strategy. Why would you walk away from your existing strategy just when the, the you know you kind of are getting the the ball over the line? Um, so you may as well just keep banging on the poor guy. Um, the NDP strategy is going to be a little bit different. I think the NDP should take the uh, thank you for your service. It's a shame that the prime minister didn't know how to manage this better. Um, but this isn't a, a David Johnson problem. This is a prime minister, uh, a prime minister Justin Trudeau problem. Um, that's the way I would do it if I was the NDP. And the T and the Trudeau par- uh, liberals need to figure out if they're going to walk towards a an inquiry or if they're going to continue to walk away from the inquiry because if they're going to walk towards the inquiry mm. then their best bet is to is to thank um you know the right honorable johnson uh for his time and his service and then uh to uh prepare to call an inquiry next week cory what do you, what do you think rapid strategy conservatives ndp liberals well, as the as Stephen's absolutely right about the conservatives, the the thing that the conservatives have to do is take their victory lap and say this is evidence of the things we were saying that he wasn't the right. Do they person take credit for it? Would you of take credit for it in a statement? I would take credit for it, and I would say, you know, it was because we kept the pressure up and we pointed out the conflicts that were here, and we continued to keep the light on this particular matter that we have gotten this. Uh, you know, adequate, however, very late resolution to this. And now absolutely the prime minister needs to call the inquiry. Enough screwing about, it's time to call the inquiry. And the beauty of the strategy from your point of view, if you're Pierre Poiliev, is 
if David Johnson defends himself, he's validating that you were right. He's too partisan. Mm-hmm. See, now he's fighting with us, the conservative party. And so you just continue uh, going down that road. The NDP do have the option of saying, oh, this is all very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate. Now is the time for the inquiry. And just striking a bit more of a balanced tone. If you're the NDP, right now there is blood in the water with the liberals. You obviously have the complexity of your supply deal with them. And you've got to be careful that it doesn't become a situation where that becomes untenable and you feel forced to do the thing that you don't want to do. But if the liberals are just taking body blows and it's just shaking things up to your advantage, why not let the conservatives continue to be the heavy on this particular one and move forward? If I were them, I would just keep my options open. For me, it's about optionality. It's not making definitive statements. It's allowing this thing to unfold in a way that lets me pick off liberals, allows me to support the liberals if I decide I need to down the road, and try not to get pinned in by either party or by my leader's absolute statements. And I think it was a real mistake of Singh just to take a a shot at Singh on the way here when he said, for example, I'm not going to call an election until this is resolved because he's he's causing himself future problems if he decides, no, actually, I wouldn't mind an election at this particular moment. If you're the liberals, I think you say shame on the conservatives for besmirching this public servant. This is just embarrassing for all. Uh, I am going to continue to take Johnson's advice, his very good advice at the end to find somebody who is adequate. So I would reverse the onus and I would say, okay, it's time for you to come to the table in a serious way, Pierre Polyev. You need to put some names forward that are acceptable to you. Let's have a conversation about this. And yeah, I mean, he's going to pick some like total assholes, but let's let's let him be the one who's having to put some things forward for once instead of just throwing rocks from the side. Let's have some of his names come forward and be open to criticism instead of the liberal names coming forward and being open to criticism. And let's see if we can't get out of this in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. The question I have for you on the liberals is any sort of taking a beat, recalibrating, assessing the situation, acknowledging that publicly, is that a sign of weakness? Or They're do weak. they have to commit? Do they have to? Co- exactly. Is, is that a sign? Uh, is that a public sign of acknowledging weakness, right? This so like, is, do they have to commit to the process yeah. going forward? This is to Carter's last question. Do they have to pick that lane now? Okay, let's actually zoom response? out for the liberals, right? Because in some ways, I fell into the mistake that the liberals make daily, which is trying to win on tactics daily without a clue of where the fuck they're going on this particular matter. They need to zoom out. This has been our advice for literally months on this particular matter. They are being dragged, bloodied to an inevitable conclusion. They should have gotten there many months ago. The public inquiry, shape it, get out of it as soon as possible. Instead, we have gotten to the the precipice of this in the most painful fucking way possible. And the outcome is not in doubt. The outcome has never been in doubt, and they should have gotten to that painful outcome sooner rather than dragging themselves through a more painful journey to that outcome. So if I am the liberals, yeah, I am inoculating myself against the initial immediate charge by the conservatives of we were right because David Johnson's leaving and saying, no, you've actually done a very bad thing here and you've caused some, uh, you know, chaos where no chaos was necessary. But I am thinking about how I get myself to that inevitable conclusion in a way with as little additional damage as possible at this point, because this is too, this is too much. Like you're going to have the next rapporteur. The next rapporteur will either agree with Johnson or not. If that next rapporteur disagrees with Johnson, it just sort of reinforces the idea. Johnson was maybe partisan and reading it wrong. If that next rapporteur agrees with Johnson, well, it, you haven't actually managed to do anything except get back to where you were a month ago. And you're going to continue to be taking the hits. And as soon as something comes up on China again, that's going to be called into question again. I mean, to me, 
This is very frustrating to watch because it's very obvious how this is all going to play out. And like I said, they can continue for literally forever not to call this inquiry, but they'll just lose the next election. They need to find a way to get out of this conversation before the next election. They should have called the inquiry months ago. Carter, your thoughts on this in terms of liberals having to pick that lane right now, right away? Well, I th- I've always thought that the best possible outcome for the country was to, to r- lift this above partisanship. Uh, I think that the partisanship that is being displayed on this issue is hurting the country, period. Um, unfortunately, the liberals have not been able to paint uh, Pierre Polyev as hurting the actual, um, hurting the country through his actions, um, which is... Uh, a failure on their part because it would have been relatively easy to point out that the person who's making this a partisan spectacle is the one who's putting our our national security at risk. But they failed. They failed in that. And they failed not once, not twice, but really from the beginning all the way through. Now they are in a spot where the the choices that there are left aren't their choices. The They are going to need to do this. I would... I wouldn't necessarily worry too much about how to score points against the liberals or how to score points against the conservatives or the, the NDP. And instead I would I would simply be focused on how do we minimize the pain that we're suffering right now? And if they minimize that pain, they will be fine because sometimes it's not about winning. It's about just stopping the bleeding and the, well put. you know, the bleeding is there. The bleeding is continuing. Um, so get out. Get out. Get out of the burning yes. house. Yeah. So they, are, so, they okay. continue to try to win. Yeah. We, again, we said this for a long time. And sometimes it's not about trying to win. It's about trying to lose less. And they should have taken more of a defensive stance on this from the start. Oh. Corey, let's say they accept that premise today. And, and, and we rarely do we get to deal with the situation live. So this is exciting because we can actually compare it to what happens. It is yeah. 6 o'clock Eastern right now as we record. Right now on Friday, June 9th. It is the summer. David Johnson has strategically probably put out this letter after hours, right, on, on a Friday. Take out the trash day. Well, it's you have to keep in mind he a, no longer has communications assistance to help him write this, it on time. This is so true. So it's probably, probably just a late paper, uh, uh, Corey. <laughs> what needs to be done now in terms of getting something out, Corey? Can you – does speed matter if you're any of the three parties that we mentioned right now? Of course and does. And, and, yeah. and OK, so talk to me about speed, especially heading into the, a weekend in summer, so to speak, officially not summer, but like a weekend in June. Tell me about speed. Tell me about tactics here. Uh, last question on this and we'll get back to Alberta. Well, the prime minister's office obviously is going to know that this was coming. And so the prime ministers should have a response roughly concurrent with this letter being released, right? And it should have all of the liberal messages in it. And if they don't, I mean, that's pretty weird. Um, the, um, the conservatives and the NDP, though, they want to make sure they're right in the story and they're trying to frame this thing right from the top. And uh, Zane, king of multitasking you are, you sent some notes that one of the things that Johnson has has talked about is that he's been getting informal advice from liberals and new Democrats, doesn't sound like conservatives. And so I think that there are some reinforcing facts here that allow the conservatives in particular to say, this is not nonpartisan, right? You've got the liberal NDP alliance, and you've got conservatives, and he was only taking advice from people in the liberal NDP alliance. Um, and so, yeah, get all of those facts out there, frame the story you want, and Try to make it uh, try to make it clear to Canadians that this is as a result of of him 
failing short of that or falling short of that nonpartisan standard that was expected of an independent special rapporteur, uh, rather than allow it to be entirely framed by Johnson and the liberals as, uh, you know, the environment has just become too toxic. I've got to get out for the good of the country. Carter, talk to me about what the liberals need to do tonight, if anything. Well, I did, I kind of disagree on the speed thing that Corey was talking about. I think that, you know, in speed is is an interesting thing because what I'm probably going to recommend would be seen as speedy um in most in most environments, but I don't think that there needs to be a specific response tonight. I think that the response that needs to be managed for is the Monday or Tuesday response, which is we are now announcing this the the uh, the inquiry. Um if they continue to stick through their guns Interesting. and uh, if they're going to stay where they are, then maybe tonight's the night to, to respond. But, uh, you know, it's 35, 40 minutes since, the thing, since this already came out. Uh, and frankly, to Corey's point, they should have known it was coming. Um, if they didn't, then it, that's another uh, fail point. But assuming that they knew it was coming, then they should be putting it out right now. Like literally I was just checking Twitter just to see I'm, I'm if, doing the if, same. They, if they put something out because it it's a two paragraph, three sentence uh, response, right? Uh, we're sorry to see uh, David Johnson resign. We agree with him that, uh, that a public inquiry will, would be challenging uh, given that most of the source material is classified. We wish him the very best and thank him uh, given the difficult partisan times that, that we're all in. Or we're saddened that the partisan uh, attacks from, uh, from those who would put part, you know, partisanship ahead of the country. I don't know, something like that. Um, but that, that stuff pretty much writes itself and they didn't write it. So why? I don't understand it. Nothing from Trudeau. Jagmeet saying David Johnson has done the right thing. Now the prime minister must call a public inquiry so that we can restore trust in our democracy. And nothing from Pierre Polyev just yet as we talk about this story live as we were recording. What I find interesting, and I said that was a final question, but how many times have I said that before not stuck to it, yeah. Carter? Um, is there All any strategic advantage for Pierre Polyev to hold his fire because people anticipate and want to kind of like be like, oh, man, that guy's going to go fucking nuts on this. Is there any strategic value in holding off, trying to do something more slowly, trying to do something more strategically to try to milk this for all it's worth rather than a Twitter thread, which could come up any second now after I refresh? Talk to me about that. If you were advising Pierre. We right haven't now. seen the stories yet. What we've seen is yep. the letter, right? And every all the media are posting the letter. What they're doing right now is they're writing their stories. In about two hours, we're going to see their stories start to pop up. My guess is Pierre Polyev is going to function at the front of those stories, right? David Johnson, Pierre Polyev, Justin Trudeau are all going to be the characters in the beginning of the story. Uh, Jagmeet Singh released his, his statement so he could get into the into the story. If, if Pierre Polyev is smart, he lets that story go without him having to inject into it. Then mm. he responds to those stories tomorrow morning, tomorrow mid-afternoon, with his own statement. Pierre Polyev is the one who's got the most time because he's going to be in the stories. There's, I can't imagine a scenario where he doesn't, he's not one of the stars of whatever stories are being written right now. Corey, any strategic value of Pierre to wait? 
I think Stephen has somewhat convinced me that maybe what's required is a bit of marination uh, for a, a bunch of different parties here and seeing how people react to all of this and seeing what other fact base comes on the table. One of the things that might lead the prime minister's office away from responding is if this was preemptive of another shoe to drop, right? Like if there is some other reason David Johnson resigned. And so you don't want to say Johnson resigned, shame on Pierre Polyev. Oops, actually, we didn't know this thing about David Johnson or, or something to that effect there. And also, uh, if you are thinking about changing strategy and zooming out and saying, okay, what do we actually need to do to extract ourselves from this uh, for the benefit of the country and for the benefit of our party? You know, when you think about those as two independent things and hopefully lean on the country one first, but let's be real, they'll be thinking about the party too. Um, let's, you know, maybe that requires a bit of a of an assessment of the reaction to all of this as well and seeing where things go. And frankly, there's a real good chance based on his actions along the way that Pierre Polyev goes too far, right? Yep. Says something that's just way beyond propriety. And um, it might be interesting to see what that is before it goes on. I generally feel in these moments that, uh, you know, a lack of alacrity can be very, very dangerous, but perhaps this issue is too formed, and perhaps this issue is just timed perfectly for a sunny summer weekend, smoky out east, but still, uh, uh-huh. you know, so you just you just forget it, you know, just not forget it, but you just don't jump to the pump. And forever we will mark this day, Friday, June 9th, 2023, as the day that the special rapporteur resigned okay. uh, and, and Swoop Airlines the music uh, ceased to died. Carter. Yeah. Danielle Smith, 24 of her friends. What's the most surprising <laughs> cabinet pick? What's the most surprising cabinet pick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked about in LaGrange. We talked about Horner in finance. We talked about Schultz and Sonny, uh, you know, Gene uh, in, in, in energy. A uh, friend of the pot, Cyril Turton, is in children's services. Most surprising pick, though. It doesn't have to be any of the ones I've just mentioned. You you oh. see the board. You probably have it in front of you. What's most surprising? Like, maybe let me add a second word to it. Surprising or interesting uh, from your perspective? I think, well, I'm going to choose the the uh, uh, the trio that I mentioned earlier of um, Schultz, uh, Lowen, and Gene. I think that that's set up for some battles. And I'm really interested to see how they manage that. Um, the other one, probably, if I didn't choose that, I would have to pick Lagrange to health. Um, I dislike her with an intensity of a thousand suns. So it's it's unbelievable to me that the ministry that uh, is the largest in, in, in any government is led by um, such an ideologue. Corey, most surprising or interesting pick or picks for you. Uh, as you uh, analyze this 24-member cabinet. Yeah, and maybe the surprise should have been in the in the cabinet that Danielle Smith originally created. But I think for me, especially given the lack of Edmonton representation, I was surprised that Nate Glubish didn't have a, a more prominent ministry. So he's Minister of Technology and Innovation. Uh, people will remember he was like the first minister who supported Danielle Smith uh, for her leadership. And either the first or the second MLA, I believe, uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, jumping on that bandwagon. And normally, that's really important. And normally, you reward people like that. And that plus the fact that you would imagine having an Edmonton adjacent riding would set him up uh-huh. to allow himself to speak in some way, shape or form for the Edmonton region. I'm just surprised, you know, technology and innovation is not nothing, but it's not huge. And um, I, I kind of expected if somebody was going to get a bit of a promotion, 
well, there were a few names. Like I thought Schultz would get a bit of a promotion. She did. But I also thought that perhaps uh, Glubish would find himself in a, in a more prominent role. Hmm. Carter, talk to me about talk to me about Deputy Premier. Is it a real thing? Because Mike Ellis is our new Deputy Premier. And and he stands right beside him. And Daniel Smith had two Deputy Premiers in the past. You guys will have to remind me. Casey Madu and was it Newdorf? Newdorf, Newdorf yeah. Newdorf, right. Newdorf no longer uh, retains Deputy Premier title that he had in Daniel Smith's first cabinet. Um, but Mike Ellis, uh, Calgary West, uh, Deputy Minister, uh, Deputy Premier, Minister of Public Safety, Emergency Services. Talk to me about Deputy Premier. Well, I don't think the Deputy, I mean, Deputy Premier really isn't a thing. Like, it's, why, why do it? Why do it? You need an attack doc. Um, that's why you do it. You, you're picking the person who is going to be able to stand up and step up uh, to the microphone when when you're in shit and you don't want to step up to the microphone. And you send your deputy premier out and the deputy premier has enough uh, sway and knowledge and capacity to speak to whatever you want them to speak to, right? So by making a deputy premier, that minister is no longer constrained solely to their ministry. They are able to uh, take a swing for you and that's why you appoint one. We had uh, Thomas Lukasik out there for uh, for Allison Redford. Um, you know, there's any number of people who can who can fill those roles, but you're mostly just looking for someone who's going to go out and defend whatever indefensible thing you've done as premier. Like you can't defend yourself from, send out the deputy premier. It's really a version of send out the clowns. Corey, deputy premier, any value? Yeah, uh, Carter has really put his finger on the main value. Uh, I maybe just want to say it a slightly different way, which is you have somebody besides the premier who speaks for the government as a whole on the political side, right? Otherwise, you're almost picking the lens that they're talking through. Like, are they talking as Minister of Health? Are they talking as Minister of Public Safety? No. I mean, at this point, Mike Ellis, he's here with his deputy premier hat on, and he's going to talk on behalf of the government. And it's, it's just kind of a cleaner way to do that. And it allows you to do the things that Stevens talked about. But it also allows you to provide just a different voice than the premier has. So if the premier, for example, is very light on details and you need a very detail-oriented person, you could pick a deputy premier like that. Whatever works for you. It just allows you to kind of fill out your communications calendar. The other benefit, of course, is that external view of it all. And, if you know, the, the prominent thing about Mike Ellis is he is from Calgary. And I think that's the main mm-hmm. reason he is deputy premier. You had to pick somebody from Calgary to be deputy premier because Calgary remains the battleground. Calgary remains very important in terms of assembling a government in this province. And uh, and so that just made great sense. Carter, let's talk about the opposition, the mm-hmm. NDP here. What would you what would you go after? And would you go after in the naming of a cabinet? How would you do that uh, as as opposition? Because the NDP have, and, and I'll lay out a few things that they've they've tried to criticize: the, the lack of diversity, uh, the premier for not appointing ministers directly in charge of housing, labor, climate change, uh, and and also as as quoted in the CBC article that I'm reading now, right now, also criticizing that no one is responsible for representing the concerns of francophone Albertans. Um, and, and and the quote here is: the point is very little has changed, and I fear what that means for our province under this government. Yeah. If you were the opposition NDP, you you formed the largest uh, uh, opposition in Alberta history. You look at this cabinet. What would the soft tissue be to you uh, for you? Uh, and would you be attacking it at the same? The same. No, I mean, I'd be setting them up. I'd be expecting great things from this group of people. You know, this. The, I'm expecting that this group of people will be able to serve all Albertans. Um, you know, Ariana Lagrange. Is that right, Adriana? It Ariana. Ar- Ariana. Anyways, Lagrange is 
has now been tasked with health. We stop correcting it. Uh, Danielle yeah, Smith. A L. Just go with A L. Seriously, there's Ariana Grande and that's there's Adriana. That's confusing. Very me. different. Grande. Very that's different. That's what's confusing me. One that's, is a vocal genius, and the other is, one is uh, Minister of Health. Is Ariana Grande. No, I'm sorry. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? I love Ariana. <laughs> Here's it's great. Set her up. Love to my they brother. They said. Pete, Pete they said. You know, Pete Danielle Pete Smith said that they they agreed on primary health care. Well, we expect to see what our primary, you know, how are they going to implement, um, you know, our joint idea of family care teams? How are they going to, you know, how are they going to protect education now that that minister has been removed? Will the new minister go, you know, protect uh, and remove the, the old curriculum? Set them up for things that actually matter. The the ministries that are missing, yeah, I get it. Right after, I mean, climate change is a big, important thing. Instead of saying, where's the minister responsible for climate change? Why not just assign it to... Rebecca Schultz. Rebecca Schultz is now responsible for climate change. And how is she going to keep the ministry for, for, you know, the minister for forestry and the minister from energy from destroying the planet? You know, give them the responsibility. Don't. Oh, you know, we didn't see that person there who, you know, fuck. I mean, the, the one thing that hasn't changed is the NDP's inability to actually come up with a message that matters to Albertans. Sometimes it just fucking makes me crazy. Zane makes me crazy. Corey, what's the, like I said this, use this word for Carter, what's the soft tissue here? How would you be attacking it if you were the NDP? Well, Carter's point at the end about messaging is the point I wanted to make. I think the NDP, I, I get it. It's post-election. It's hard to say, you know, we did that narrative. Maybe that narrative didn't work. Obviously, we didn't get the government we wanted. But you, you can't entirely lose your narrative thread the day after an election. What I'm challenged by, by the criticisms you laid out, and you shorthanded them, and I didn't see the exact language they were framed in, and I want and, to and, and share neither it. did I. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm reading them from the CBC article, yeah. Uh, for sure. And if you were going to put somebody in like a sensory deprivation chamber, and they heard none of this, and they walked out and said, okay, give me what you think an NDP critique of this would be. Uh, they, you know, they would say like, oh yeah, diversity, gender, you know, some, the Francophone issue feels like even a, a step beyond that in terms of like, do we actually think that that's what's going to be top of mind for a lot of Albertans? Pretty fair ball, but also definitely not top of mind for most Albertans. And it almost feels like kind of the, the stereotypical attacks of what a new democratic uh, government in waiting is going to be trying to do there. And while those are all very important issues to consider, I don't know if they help elevate and expand the story of the new Democrats. Everybody's going to assume that the new Democrats have, you know, those viewpoints. I would have preferred to see something that was a little bit more take the issue and turn it, you know, like, it, you know, it's really important that, you know, we have a, a cabinet that is going to, I, I'm challenged. I was about to say like, you know, reflects a modern Alberta, but I feel that would be taken as an assault against the rural representation there. So I wouldn't necessarily use those words, but I'd say like, hey, listen, we really need a, a cabinet that's going to be thinking about how we build opportunities for everybody in this province. And we're just not seeing that. We're seeing the same people who were afraid of opportunity for the last four years, and we're going to hold them to account and we're going to be talking to them uh, you know, daily in the legislature about what they're doing to make sure that everybody in Alberta can succeed and be pulled forward. Because you look at this cabinet and it doesn't necessarily look like a, we want everybody to succeed cabinet. Like, I think that's the way you can make a, a kind of foundationally similar attack, but in a way that tells the story that expands the NDP brand. And, and so that's what I would be looking for. 
Carter, uh, just coming off a campaign myself, it's easy. uh, You hear a lot of criticisms about messaging, right? You should have done this, should have said that. So, Carter, I'm going to pose the same challenge that Corey just took on on his own, which is write me a better message for what the NDP should have said today. Write me a better message right now of what their criticism should have been, just like Corey did. Build on it or write your There were so many things that that Albertans agreed upon. Right. We agreed upon uh, a healthcare system that required significant change. Is this the minister who can actually deliver that change? Um, we recognize the need for uh, collectively, both the NDP and the UCP recognize the need for significant uh, diversification of the economy. Are these the ministers who can do this? Uh, we expected more, to be honest. We expected a higher level. Um, but having said that, we're not going to give them the, the out. We're not going to let incompetence or lack of visibility be the out for these for these ministers. We're going to stand up. We're going to hold them to account, and we're going to make sure that they deliver uh, the promises that that they made, uh, the promises that Albertans expect. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to do it. Um, you know, there were so many things that could have been better, so many things that could have been done, and instead we wound up with this group, right? Just. Go after go after the common promises. That's what I would have done. Let me let me leave it here. Uh, you know, I'll get to this cabinet in the in the in the lightning round. But Corey, advice to the NDP as they build their shadow cabinet. We've talked about the varying importance of shadow cabinets. Sometimes they're irrelevant. Other times they add a bit of structure to your side. Advice you'd give to the to the NDP as they build their shadow cabinet. Um, it could be about how you map those, how you elevate certain folks, new people, old people, messaging. Talk to me about it. You know, I, I, in the past, Carter, we've even discussed, do you give your shadow cabinet ministers mandate letters of their own? But talk to me about some advice you'd give Corey, Carter. I'm, and these are just options I'm just putting on the table. Sure. Feel free to take none of them, right? Uh, a question to you, Carter, uh, coming up right after Corey. Yeah, I think it does still fundamentally go back to story. So you're trying to say this is what an NDP government would have looked like. And you want to leave Albertans almost wanting in that sense, like, oh, that would have been better. You know, that would have been cool. And it's a challenge because, and we have talked about this, do you match them person for person? Like they picked the ministers, so we're going to pick shadow ministers to be the same. Or do you do you go a little off script and you say like, well, you didn't have a standalone status of women. We think that's important, so we're going to have status of women. But you've got to, you've got to be very mindful of the story that you're going to be bringing forward here and that's what should be reflected and you also do have the advantage like in hockey where you're setting your line second so you should also think about who's actually going to be a good matchup against these people in the legislature uh if you've got somebody who's got a incredibly thorough understanding of the details on one side you might not want to have somebody who's only going to lob platitudes in question period towards them, right? Like they're going to have to be able to spar and think on their feet and go back and forth. And so there's considerations like that as well. You're setting up the communications moment, which is saying, this is what the cabinet could have looked like and wouldn't that have been cool? But you're also setting up the exchanges in the legislature day by day. And we've talked so much about how not important question period is generally. But we've also talked about how that can set the tone overall for the media and the tone overall in the House and how that can bleed out into things. And you've got to be thinking about that as well. Because you don't want to set up the communications moment of the shadow cabinet only to have it be totally useless for you on a day-to-day basis in terms of QP and, and going forward. Carter, advice as they set up their shadow cabinet in the coming weeks. Well, it's almost the opposite of the advice that we would give for setting up a cabinet. Um, You do want people with expertise. Like, for example, putting uh, Sarah Hoffman in education makes a tremendous amount of sense because Sarah Hoffman knows the education file backwards and forwards and isn't going to be... Such a great point. You know, isn't going to need to be 
briefed by uh, administration on everything because so you're you're just so I'm clear domain expertise here is an asset right well you don't have a department yeah so yeah yeah you're not going to get briefed by you know 12 smart people be, you know every day on what's actually occurring in your in 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 your ministry you're going to have like you know, one harried issues manager running around uh, trying to figure out what questions we should ask today. So, you know, knowing your your file, knowing when an answer is bullshit um, enables you to ask the second and third question with a lot more specific attack to it, right? So, you know, Sarah into um, education, Shannon maybe into health, um, you know, uh, Court Ellington into economic development, um, you know, where people are strong, put them. Najwan against, uh, against Brian Jean is like a match made in heaven, right? A rookie who knows more about oil and gas than Brian Jean. <laughs> bring it, bring it, bring it all day long. It's going to be, first of all, just the images alone are going to be spectacular. Uh, Rocky taking on advanced education. Like there's a lot of different places you can put people where th- it's going to look better. Frankly, your group of people are going to look stronger and smarter than the ministers that have been put in place. Forestry is another great example. Um, given the given the fact that the fucking province is on fire, uh, people are going to be paying a lot more attention to forestry. Uh, going after Todd Lowen suddenly becomes a, a viable option. Uh, and Todd's not going to be doing great. So match strength against him. Put in someone, you know, put in someone, maybe a Kathleen Ganley or... Um, I'm not as familiar with uh, Sarah, whatever her name is from Banff, Kananaskis. But I'll tell you, Banff, Kananaskis, you know, there was a fire in Banff. The towns are scared shitless of forest fires. And uh, there's going to be clear-cut logging in Brad Creek. Banff, Kananaskis, having the the critic for forestry could be a lot. Forestry and parks could be really a lot of fun. Corey, you wanted to jump in here before you move on. Yeah. Um, the reason the construction is different is is important to underline here because the shadow cabinet really does have a role outside of the house. But the, the main role you think about it is is kind of in the house. And yes, they're going to meet with stakeholders there and they're going to talk about all of these things. But you could you could have almost anybody do that in almost any setting. One of the cool things, though, is that you're on the attack. You're looking for the soft underbelly and having domain expertise really helps in that sense. When you're a minister, you're looking to duck and weave and that's just being good on your feet. That's just good communications expertise. That's being able to take a brief. So it is a bit of a different job when you think about it in the confines of the house. Plus the networks, uh, the relationships are super important, right? So all of a sudden, you know, Sarah Hoffman's able to talk to all the teachers unions because she knows them all super well. Um, Shannon's got relationships with the, with the nurses or whomever, right? You want to have those relationships. And ideally, they're not colored by your past performance as a minister, right? You don't want Sarah Hoffman's performance as the healthcare minister. Now she's the health cr- critic and all of the primary stakeholders are still pissed at her from what she did four years ago. You want to have a nice clean break into all of those areas. So where you have existing relationships, dig into those. Dig into them big time. 
We're going to leave that segment there, move it on to our final segment or over under in our lightning round. Steven, we do this Listen. for you. This entire world has been custom built for you. Yeah. Can we just ahead. agree that the end of my, the end of this podcast has been stronger than the beginning? Can we just concede the point? I, I, yeah. Absolutely. I, Congratulations. I, I, absolutely. I just need to feel a little bit better about myself. As the evening settles in, you are picking up steam. Well, <laughs> you are, you are doing not, very I'm, nice. Yeah. I was really sleepy. I'm less sleepy now. So feeling better. We're proud okay, of you, man. Uh, yeah. It was good. Yeah, that was, are, that was solid performance by you. Thank you. Yeah, very, very solid Thank you for carrying me uh, for the Carter, first half, Corey. Uh, Carter, uh, here, here's here's the thing, yeah. Carter. Uh, I got to ask you, riskiest pick in this cabinet, go. Riskiest pick. Oh, man. Uh, I think it's Lagrange in uh, in health. She is an ideologue. Corey, who's... I don't need justification. Oh. We got, we got, you've said it before. Corey, riskiest wow. pick in cabinet. It's AL, buddy. It is AL because it's not as though if things go wrong, there wouldn't have been warning signs from education. Oh, yeah. If, if any of us ever form government, let's make a bond on this podcast that we will be asking Ariana Grande to be in our cabinet. Let me just, okay? I feel, yeah, like, I feel like that'd be pretty exciting. So, Corey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with you on our next one. Most inspired pick. The most inspired pick. Well, uh, I think it's AL in health. So, uh, because it, it was just, just part just of a strategy, no, listen, because it was part of a strategy of just sort of elevating up. Right. And the, and it was the one that avoided the most. Corey goes with the classic double edged sword, like a total fucking cliche Carter, most inspired pick. Uh, Cyril Turton as the minister of children and family services. Uh, one of the worst, worst ministries to get because uh, we've spoken about it in the past. And some people have misinterpreted this. It's not a question of how important it is. It is a question of how difficult it is. It is super difficult to find the right balance between uh, parental rights, First Nations issues, other things that impact children in this province and and, uh, protecting children in this province. It's it's damn near impossible. And our good friend Searle has now uh, been tasked with that. I've already sent him a note, uh, you know, basically... uh, commiserating he's very excited to get the note. Why, why would you yeah why would you torpedo his career like that by mentioning that you yeah talk he, said, this is, he said this is, he said to me thanks for the encouragement and the dose of realism because i called him a poor soul carter i'm going back to you how fucked are the liberals on a scale of one to ten uh they are three level fucked they are they're going to be forced to do the right the the wrong thing for the wrong reasons uh but they are they're going to be there yeah, Corey, uh, can you tell me who, how fucked are the liberals on a scale of one to ten? I I think only a C minus because there's still a lot of time, at least in theory, to the next election. They can recover, they can pull it out, but they've got to they got to do it now. They've got to realize where they're going, and they've got to say, yeah, not optimal. Yeah, I, we don't even necessarily think it's the it's the right thing per se, or the best way to get at these answers. But I'll go back to the point I made about psychological safety. Canadians right now, they want to have this inquiry because they want to get to the bottom of some very concerning things. So they, you know, they've got time. They've got time to turn it all around, but they've got to stop. They can't run the last four months or the next four months like the last four months. Corey, final question. Here we are. By the end of day Monday, will Justin Trudeau have called a public inquiry? Yes or no? God. Well, I was wrong about the the stepping down so assuming that i will be wrong again i will say uh no he will not have cora carter a same question to you. as i mentioned in the last podcast zane i am no longer making predictions due to my dubious prediction capacity 
Of course. Um, having of course, said yeah. that, of course, uh, there will be a public inquiry called by 12 noon Eastern time on Monday. Fantastic. Getting even more specific. I appreciate it, Carter. Zucchini is not a melon, and I will fight that till the death. That's a wrap on episode 1073 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belgey. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. We'll see you next time. Can you fucking believe he didn't even ask us about Donald Trump? I mean, it's like... What now? There's how many in, indictments has the guy got? Like it, it's like over sixty total, like over seventy indictments. Thirty-seven of them come down, like yes, yesterday night, last night, finally released today, just before the podcast. We had all the information, and Zane's like, uh, "Let's talk more about Ariana." No, Adriana, Adriana Lagrange. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, you know us. it's. It's uh, it's tough. It literally, the guy was accused of hoarding nuclear secrets and you know defensive plans of the United States. But no, we got to talk about uh, who the big surprise picks in the Danielle Smith cabinet yeah. are. Yeah. Who shocked you the most? All of them, Zane. I mean, like, there's no fucking talent. And yet, none of them. Yeah, I mean, ooh, Rick McIver, municipal affairs. Oh, that really stepped out of the box. You know, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> R.J. Sigurdsson in agriculture. Ooh, we're going to hear a lot from him, I bet. R.J. is going to hold a press conference once a week. What a mess. Ridiculous.